Welcome to The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we are honored to have with us Vaughn Halyard, the founder of Story Lounge Media Group, as our special guest. Vaughn worked in the music industry as a producer on projects with Stevie Wonder, Janet Jackson, and the Harlem Boys Choir, as well as many others. He worked as a senior vice president of strategy for Walt Disney Studios before heading to Buena Vista Music Group, where... They supported such artists as Mariah Carey, the Fugees, and produced soundtracks for the Bad Boys, Clerks, and Cool Runnings. As a golfer, Vaughn has lived an intrepid life, serving as the Greens chairman at Cedar Rapids Country Club for many years, helping to restore the course design to its original Donald Ross roots. He serves on the board of directors for the Iowa Golf Association, and you'll find his articles on golf course architecture from all around the world sprinkled across the internet. Vaughn is a natural storyteller, not just in conversation, but with his work at Story Lounge Media, where he has taken on many golf-specific passion projects, including a documentary on the building of Sand Valley and one of the most anticipated openings, at least in my eyes, Landman Golf Club, the Rob Collins Tad King creation in Homer, Nebraska. If you love golf, you're going to love this one. A few other things I love, dogs, a Chicago-style hot dog on a warm spring day, and the hangout our annual spring event at Canal Shores, which is quickly approaching Saturday, May 22nd at Canal Shores. There are a few fivesomes left for golf and plenty of spots left for the concert and hang out afterwards. I have a lot of favorite days in the society golf season, but this one is always special because I bring my wife, I bring my dog, I bring my friends who maybe aren't as obsessed with golf as I am, and we just all have fun together in the same place. It's awesome. This year, we're going to have a few additions. We're going to have a kid's table with extra special fun for them and a few uh, putting contests on the new green out there at Canal Shores. Uh, the adults, of course, will be socially distanced right next to the live music. We're going to have that after the round while the amazing people at Post 42 VFW Hall serve us up some post-round cocktails and tacos. The official sponsor of the Hangout this year is Evan Scholar's Invitational, last year's runner-up of that event. Will Zalatoris. Yes, the same Will Zalatoris who just finished runner-up at Augusta in April. Find out who is going to take the golf world by storm next on Memorial Day weekend when the Corn Ferry Tour rolls through the Glen Club. Now, without further ado, on to the show with Vaughn Halyard. Vaughn Halyard, welcome to the bag drop. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to start off with a question that I've never actually asked anyone on this podcast before. Uh, what's it like producing on records with Stevie Wonder, Janet Jackson, and others? Oh, you've been digging. Uh, <laughs> it was it was fascinating. You know, people for people kind of forget that. Uh, oh, people don't know. I don't know if they forget, but entertainment meeting and media is production. We produce product. So in, in actuality, it's kind of a manufacturing world. So whether it's music or film, you have to put the pieces and the parts together. It's an assembly line. And you have to get all the parts together and, and make them look and sound good before they can be released to the public for consumption. And we deliver product and we try and do it again. So in, in actuality, it's really very get up and go to work. Sometimes we don't go to work till 7 p.m. But you go to work, you put your parts down, you call different singers, you organize meals, you organize travel. Um, 
your organized mixing and it, it's it's kind of a, a it's a mundane sort of assembly line but then there are men, there are pieces of brilliance when you you could you hear something you know that's phenomenal uh, I don't know if you'll ever be able to repeat that particular take and let's capture that let's move on let's try and fit it and make it work etc so it, it ranges from going to work on an assembly line to experiencing moments and seconds of brilliance and trying to capture that and recapture it and bottle it and make sure you don't screw it up. That's the worst. That's the scariest part, making sure you don't screw up the brilliance and deliver a product that people want to consume. Is there, I got to ask you about Stevie because my wife um, of all performers, that's her guy. That's her guy. Oh yeah. We, we listen to a lot of Stevie wonder in our house. I mean, Oh, excellent. She, she has Stevie Sunder, Stevie wonder songs that, that highlight key moments in her life. Um, some of which I was lucky to be a part of, but, uh, she want, I, she would love to know, you know, I guess those moments of brilliance, you know, right. did you have moments with him where it, it, it hit or some that kind of stand out where you're like, wow, this guy is, is uh, another level of talent. Oh, absolutely. First time. I mean, you, once you, once you are, called to work uh i had the luck of being called i was kind of a fixer um the it was a project that was a little bit behind schedule and it was also a project as i said that that needed to fit into the manufacturing process it was a soundtrack so soundtracks a little different than records where people can sort of meander and be creative at on their own time a soundtrack requires the delivery of parts on a certain schedule because it's a puzzle so we had to finish a record and we walked in and within day one, we set up and called uh, a bunch of band members together and said, we have to start cutting tonight. And as soon as we started, I mean, Stevie hadn't had anything written. We sit, we sat in the studio and he conjured up some brilliance in a day and started singing it that next afternoon. Uh, that's when you, that's when you know that you're uh, working with somebody who's at a different level. Any favorite songs of his? Uh, I always come back to Overjoyed. It's a good one. That's yeah. A good one. Yeah. I go back. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't producing on that one, but it's still one of my favorites. Uh, another, a second question that I've never asked anyone on this golf podcast where do you keep your Grammys? Uh, they're in storage right now. S- storage. Ooh, come on. Yeah. I'm a nomad right now. <laughs> if, pull if, off of, probably this summer, I've got to pull a bunch of stuff out of storage. And, and you have two, right? Yeah, we have what, two. What it, in that industry, I'm, I'm, I'm so novice to that industry. I really don't know. But what, what do those mean to you? Oh, they're priceless. Now, let's be clear. I was the help. Stevie, you know, is a producer. Stevie is the star uh, and the artist and the voice. Um, I sort of ran the manufacturing line, but running a manufacturing line for Stevie Wonder, only a few people have done it. So they mean, they mean the world to us. Uh, hey, the engineers and the, 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 other the manufacturers on the team still get Grammys though. That's yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, it's an interesting, um, we don't get to walk up and pick them up, but uh, it was quite a team led by uh, jointly with Nate, Nate Watts, who is Steve's, long-time bass player and producer and staff. And then Steve Van Arden, who's also producer and engineer. And I should note that Steve Van Arden is probably one of the people responsible for getting me into golf. 
So Steve's out of LA and he, he, I don't know when he's bored, he plays to about a, a four, <laughs> you know, if he gets down, he goes negative. So I, or, or he goes plus. So uh, it's, it's an interesting conundrum as you know, or may not know. I mean, LA and entertainment are sick with golf. I mean, just absolutely addicted to it. So you can, you could probably get a game with somebody famous at either a private or a muni in Los Angeles without too much trouble. <laughs> so that was uh, one question I had for you is, you know, this, um, it, was that a tradition? Is that what brought you in? Was your entertainment industry yeah. brought you into the game of golf? Give us a uh, I, My dad tried to get me, you know, the classic story. My dad tried to get me, um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. We played football and I was actually a ski racer. So golf was a little too slow. And then as he got older, I actually started to play. And when we were cutting uh, the Jungle Fever record, Stephen Arden said, hey, you know what? I blow off steam. I'm going to this place called Penmar, which is on, on the west side. I'm going to show you a couple of things. You say, let's go play some golf. And he and another buddy by the name of um, John Switzer, also in L.A., they were probably responsible for my initial addiction to the game because Steve was just fantastic as, as a beginning teacher. And said, hey, you know, just take your time. It's going to make you crazy. It was invented by a, a bunch of insane Scots, but now we can't have it. <laughs> and what age were you at that time? Boy. Uh, when we first kind of, I mean, I didn't, we kind of took it up in my 30s and then got serious when my son wanted to really become Tiger Woods in my 40s. Yeah. So I didn't really get a handicap until I was I think, 40 something. And you don't have to tell us how many years you've been playing because we won't. Oh, I don't care. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 62. I mean, it's not like you can't find out, right? Or 61. Don't, right. don't rush. <laughs> don't rush. Well, I think I, it was listed on, on a page somewhere in a golf magazine that said my age and handicap. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> and you, you know, it's not like you picked up the game in your 30s and you just, just you know, dabbled through life. I mean, you were at the, the deepest layers of this game and you, you, uh, you seem to have a golf mind that, you know, I meet, I meet people that I don't even know if I have this mind to, to this level, but people that really can dissect, um, the, the layers of this game architecture being one of them, you know, and I've read your pieces that you've written about golf course architecture, um, off the get go. Did you have that when you picked up the game for real in, in your thirties, did you say, all right, I'm, I'm in and not only am I just in, I'm all the way in. And I want to know every little piece of golf history, golf architecture, golf, golf. No, that's a good question. No, I did not. Um, no, I, it, it, you know, I struggle with the game. It wasn't it, the swing for some reason didn't come very natural to me. So I, I always have, I'm a grinder. Um, I can get streaky. I can get hot. So I think it's getting, getting streaky is, is kind of an adrenaline rush when I can get, when I can get going. But what really got me inside, uh, um, the game is one, it was sort of a marketing and branding opportunity. We went to, when I, we moved to Iowa, uh, for family reasons and I got involved and just started playing. And then, the trigger event was again, as I said, my son decided that he wanted to quit football because he was too small and he decided he wanted to play golf. And I, I said, you know, I think I started crying out of happiness. So we sort of took it up in earnest and I became involved with the club 
And coming from media and messaging, I was commuting to Los Angeles and um, I think we were working on still some Stevie Wonder stuff and getting prepped for a round of tours and, uh, and then working on a couple films. Uh, it became evident that the club, and I knew nothing about it, but I had, I had realized that this guy, Donald Ross, was probably important. So I did some research and, and ran into some people at the club and we were talking about Donald Ross and there were a couple of people that were trying to get a restoration movement going. And what struck me was when somebody said, well, does anybody really know who Donald Ross is? And I looked at him, I said, you know, I, I'm not, I'm new to this, but that may be some of the stupidest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, from what I can tell, this Ross guy is like Frank Lloyd Wright and this is a Ross course. And from what I can tell, this is the only one I ha that we have here. And from my background, having something with a brand name and it's the only one in a certain area, we should be using this to our advantage. And the, the long story short is that that's how I sort of became more active in golf architecture, primarily from a storytelling and branding perspective. And then realizing that uh, if we expanded the storytelling and branding and fixed it, we might have something that's worth selling. Uh, and that's, that's probably the most pedestrian way to describe how I became really intensely involved with Garo architecture because I had to arm myself with knowledge to kind of fight idiocy and support. You know, there are some people at the club that were trying to move this restoration project forward and we sort of bonded and I became the storyteller for the project and, and the explainer of why we need to do this and how we're going to benefit. And for, for those that don't know which club you're talking about, it's Cedar Rapids Country Club in, uh, in Iowa. And I, I had read, I think I'd mentioned to you, uh, my first scene of your name was Golf Club Atlas interview on 2016. Yeah. And, and to hear you say what you just did, there's something that I asked myself, why did I, you know, why have I been tracking you down to have you on the, the podcast? Yeah. I think that that interview it was different than all the other golf course architecture interviews I was looking at uh, to that point. And I think that what it just connected for me is that, that you are a storyteller that when I read that interview, it was, it was truly a story. It wasn't just the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, the features that, that need to be returned on the golf course. You had that in there. Um, but I, it did read more like a story and, and that was intentional is what you're kind of, well, I don't know if it was intentional. It's just how, how we work in film and music, because music, at least if it's got vocals, but even instrumental music is storytelling. You, you introduce an idea, you build it, you create tension. Um, you may drop it, you may crescendo, and then you might take somebody out. It's the same thing. A, a story by definition and by business is three parts, beginning, middle, and end. Um, unless it's Lord of the Rings, you, you just keep ending and have more endings. But functionally, as storytellers, you, you sort of have to walk people through the process and help them understand what you're trying to deliver or else you're, you're going to fail. And that's what we did. We, we worked really hard, um, had a great committee, had great team members. Uh, the president, um, who was the golf chair before me, Jason Hafner, uh, recruited me and a, and a good team this, and Tom Feller, the superintendent, and we, we sort of hunkered down and said, how can we get this done? We don't have a lot of money, but let's focus on what's important, which is an infrastructure, getting water off the course. And then for gravy, let's try and get these features back to where they make sense to, to Donald Ross. And luckily, 
nobody had come in and really ruined the routing nor the green. So we had a good canvas to work with. And we lucky that we got Ron Pritchard who knew exactly what we were trying to do and helped us and taught me why what we were doing was important. And most importantly, uh, how, why it was important not to screw it up. The, the, uh, it was an acclaimed restoration and, and a very celebrated golf course today is, um, what, what was the hardest part about the, the whole restoration experience for you? Uh, teaching membership, why it mattered. That was the hardest and longest part. And, and to their credit, it, as far as they knew, it was the most beautiful golf course that they'd ever seen and the best and the prettiest golf course in the state. So why would you screw it up? Uh, so to explain that it was broken was very educational. It was process driven. It was you know, taking the time to explain that, hey, this moss on the green is a problem. Uh, you shouldn't have moss on the fairway. You shouldn't have sludge running. You, the water shouldn't be pooling. All these things that were, you know, it was really unhealthy. And you could point to the cause. You know, this is because this drainage has never been properly engineered. This fungus is because all these trees are blocking this light from the east. There should never be trees blocking light and uh, sunshine. Um, none of this should be in the shadows. And we had to really walk people through and say, we're not doing this to be contrary. We're doing this because if we don't, the course is going to die. And, and getting people to realize that was the hardest part. And then the second hardest part was getting them to understand that it was such a profound and valuable brand uh, because they had no, you know, no real concept or frame of reference of what golf architecture meant to a course like a Donald Ross course, because it was the only one. You know, and I always got, uh, it's got four kind of cool classics. It had others. There were some other Langfords. It was another Langford in, in Cedar Rapids that got destroyed. Um, but there's a Langford in, in Vanker um, uh, is a Langford that could use a restoration. Wakanda, I mean, Wakanda is a Langford. Vanker is a, Ma a Maxwell. And Cedar Rapids is the only Ross. And Davenport is an Allison. So there's four classic courses within the state. But None of us knew about each other because we weren't really paying attention at that time. Yeah. I think I remember you referencing in that original interview that, uh, the other forces that exist were, um, Augusta nationals, you know, bright green and tree yeah. line fairways and white yeah. Sandy bunkers and, uh, Arnold Palmer's cachet and, yeah. you know, put it in, uh, ponds cause they, they add a, an aesthetic to, to the course. So at this time and what year was the restoration project started uh somewhere around tw 2011 is when we started the process we we did road shows we started we were we did uh we reached out to different constituencies we did a road show specifically for women's golf this is what this restoration was meant for you uh we did a road show with senior golf we did a road show with the low handicaps we under we tried to convey the value of the restoration to each of these different groups in something that mattered to them. And we were, we were pretty successful. I mean, there were, there were some, the trees were a, uh, a point of contention for a long time, but once we did uh, three, four holes and showed what it could be, uh, the process accelerated pretty nicely. Yeah. Tree, trees for many <laughs> of our members that are going through the same restoration project, trees seem to be the most consistent sticking point for, yeah. 
the members, whether it's a, a sentimental attachment to, to a tree or they just don't see the uh, agronomy basics of, of getting airflow and, yeah. and whatnot. What was the key for you in the tree discussion or, or for your team to, to convince those members? It's tough. I mean, the, the key was coming back to the health. I mean, when you can point to somebody and say, hey, um, this moss, the reason your putts are terrible is because this green has six surfaces on top of it. There's moss, there's fungus, there's grass, there's poa, there's bent. That's not how our green's supposed to function. The reason that we're going to have to spend $40,000 on this green if we don't take these trees out is because this green is going to die if we don't. So if you want to continue to, to spend, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 on a green, we'll keep the trees. If you want the green to be healthy and we can save money as a club, you'll let us take the trees out. Uh, and and the, the thing was at the point when they were planting trees in the sixties, it goes back to that whole Augusta. We want to be Augusta. Well, people don't realize one Augusta is every fairway is as wide as a football field. So the illusion of TV of Arnold Palmer and all the things that, that made golf sexy during the 60s and 70s when these trees were planted, the perspective was wrong. So we had a lot of education that said, hey, you know, there's width that was here. Look at these 1930s photos. These trees were not here. Look at the 1930s photos. If we're going to restore it, we need to try and get back to where that was. And let's try and get to the, a point where the place is healthy. Because we're going to save money. And that was really, that was kind of the linchpin that said, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. If we can save 40 grand a green, that's probably something we need to do. Yeah. It, it's, it can be frustrating, right? When you, when you do all your research and you feel like this is the right thing to do and, and you still run into opposition. Um, was there ever a, a point where you, you or anyone else on the team just put your hands up and said, you know what? Uh, no more, you know, bring your ID ideas, but we're, we can't take this time. We got to move. We got to do this. We got to push forward. You know, um, not a specific point, but uh, Jason Hafner and my friend Steve Greif always say the, the one guy you don't want to show up at a meeting is L.A. Vaughn. Because L.A. Vaughn gives zero of those Fs, right? And we'll go right at it and we'll lose friends. There are, you know, People have asked, you know, there were some guys that said I should resign for various reasons because I was ruining the course, you know, I was ruining the golf experience. I was ruining the, a bunch of things. And I basically, you know, I brought L.A. Vaughn to the meeting and all of that ended pretty quickly. <clears throat> and I did not resign. We'll just put it that way. But yeah, sometimes there's, there's, there's a line in the sand and you sort of have to throw down and take a stance uh, and having you know, dealt with music and film and television for so long, it's not hard to, to pull that trigger when necessary. Yeah. I'm sure you've had to pull out LA Vaughn in plenty of other situations aside from not, that. not too many, not too many. I mean, it kind of the restoration and the work and the stuff that Pritchard uh, and Tyler Ray did sort of speaks for itself. So once you have that as your point of reference, there's not much that people can say. Yeah. You know, I, I got to uh, see the work of Ron and Tyler up close myself, because I'm a member at Beverly Country Club, and we just completed our Donald yeah. Ross restoration. And uh, I know it well. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know it's it's incredible to see what those changes have done, and yeah. and to see it now in in, in play. 
and how happy everybody is with, with those, uh, those changes. The one thing you touched on agronomy and the health of the greens, I thought it was neat to hear. I can't remember if it was Tyler or Ron that said it, but you know, they were complimenting our superintendent Kirk speak. Yeah. And they said, you know, you guys got a really good superintendent Yeah, and you're, you're, and you're talking about how great your greens are. Um, he's really good. That's why your greens are really good. It's not the health of these greens. There are contaminants. There are six different types of undergrowth going on here. And he still gets them rolling. Well, if we can remove some trees, if we can reseed these greens, you won't believe how good he is because yeah. then you're going to let him focus on other things that, that he hasn't had time to focus on. And, uh, and that has rang true. And I think about that all the time because um, I think a lot of our listeners know from past guests, superintendents are some of the most underappreciated people in the golf industry. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, it was cool to hear, you know, guys who are uh, building the course kind of fully understanding what his capabilities really were. And, uh, and now we get to see it as members. So um, it's so hard to get people to see that early uh, is what I, is what I found. You know, what saved us is that Tom Feller was the superintendent then and is now our general manager because he is just a, a problem solver. Uh, a problem avoider is, is probably more accurate. When Ron walked the course and we had, we had talked to, um, I won't name him, we talked to two other architects who one wanted to remake the course in his own vision, was going to blow it up and, you know, in 20 Eleven dollars had proposed you know, a three million dollar renovation. Luckily, we dodged that bullet. We got Ron. Ron came in uh, as the old professor and just kind of walked the grounds and held a, a fireside chat. And uh, came back and said, "Hey, this grass has survived for a hundred years. You haven't screwed it up yet. Let's cut some trees, get some air and light in here, and see what we can do. You probably don't need to replace anything, and that saved us millions of dollars of work." Uh, including the greens. And Tom Feller was able to, to kind of execute a lot of that in-house and bring those greens to life. And one thing that Tom learned very quickly is that he is uh, Poa's worst enemy. He knows how to destroy Poa. Poa runs from him. So it's amazing the, the quality of greens that we have in an area that you know, Poa likes to, to basically commit atrocities. And, and that really was the tenor and the tone for the entire projects. You know, just let's get it done, figure out how to do it right. And let's try and figure out how to deliver the excellence for a budget. Yeah. Now we're in the middle of doing it again. It's a little different story after this deratio, but we are, that's a whole nother interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, let's switch to some public golf because uh, you were quoted in golf magazine as saying what I've, really come to appreciate is the way that great golf course architecture when it's made available to the public can affect the surrounding community. What are some examples you've seen of public courses that have uh, made this impact? Well, I mean, you can pull a couple right off the shelf. Uh, the, I think winter park is one. Uh, the demographic is a little more well-heeled and you can go to East Lake, but that falls on the back of, of an individual who funded that. But I think there are opportunities. Uh, the Kaisers, Mike Jr. has really put his, his, uh, his neck on the line in Madison. Uh, we've talked, to, I've known him for a long time since the beginning of the Sand 
he's very passionate about it. And there was a battle to try and get the various townspeople and various constituencies to understand the value of excellently architected golf to the people. You know, if you have better architected golf and you surround it with programs, you can use that to improve the surrounding economy. You can use that to improve the surrounding environment and education for the people and access to the outdoors. If you can get a kid to do something for four hours, you should focus on getting him to do that, him or her. And I think that's what golf does as well as any other outdoor activity. Uh, but it changes the way that kids look at participating with other people and how you approach the game and all the things that uh, all your listeners know golf brings to the community it's important to try and get the communities to understand, understand the value of golf this, the way that we do um, within the golf architecture and the golf key community. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a, to me, it's a big deal. I'm just really working on a couple of different projects. I work with Craig Kirby, Golf My Future, My Game, and he's involved in a number of initiatives. We're doing a couple of initiatives for him on his board, and he's got program, programs in Detroit and Birmingham, Alabama, and D.C., uh, National Links Trust has tapped him to be part of their program. It's really getting golf involved at an organic level in a, a community and making sure the community understands that their investment in that golf ground is something that yields benefits versus something that should be scraped over when and sold off to housing developers. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it takes a, uh, a larger perspective a lot of times for that message to resonate. Yeah, there's a lot of education involved. I mean, there's a lot of education and, and again, teaching the same thing. You have to look at it as a project, explaining the value of what golf brings to a community and the people in, in, around it so they understand that this is an asset. Um, and I'll point to Sand Valley. Again, it's a high-end resort, so let me qualify that. But they found a crazy piece of sand in the middle of Wisconsin in what was probably the second poorest county in the state with big problems, you know, unemployment, um, you know, meth and, and all those, all the, the crazy things that you, you get in some of these, these rural communities and it's changed the game. You know, there's, there's housing being developed. They're at full employment. They're trying to find people to work there. They're sold, you know, some of the rooms are probably sold out for two years. And they, they sell more rooms. Every time they put up rooms, they sell more. Then they have to hire more people. I mean, it's really an interesting opportunity. And then they've involved organizations like the Evan Scholars and, and really drive that access and that participation down, and, down to the community layer, the way you guys do at Beverly. You know, the way that, that uh, Craig has set up with National Links Trust at Langston, the public courses in Washington, D.C., I mean, there are, there are really good things that come from golf. You have to teach people what's good about them. And once they get on board, they say, oh, yeah, this is, this is a different level of community engagement. I think that's uh, part of my mantra and what I'm really interested in doing, is driving great golf architecture into the public community and the programming that comes, around, comes along with it. The, the Kaisers, Mike Jr., Chris, uh, Mike Sr., they're, they're definitely some of my biggest inspirations in the game. And um, I, I just have always appreciated how they uh, don't give uh, – they listen. They're all great listeners, but they don't give a ton of, of credibility to the naysayers because you know how often have we heard 
Sand Valley is a great example that, you know, oh, it'll work. Okay. It worked as banded. It'll work as a resort or it's not going to work in Wisconsin and they make it work in Wisconsin. Yeah. And, and then, and then they say, well, it's not truly public accessible. And then they make the sandbox, you know, available for, uh, true community locals that, that live and work there. And, And that works. And then, and then now they're, they're creating a private club amongst the, the resort and people are like, oh, well, private clubs are, that's like, and I know that's going to work because they they don't take. It's not a cookie cutter approach. You know, they yeah. really, truly listen. And um, I, I just love it because my inspirations are Scotland and I know theirs are too. And, yeah. and uh, so few of us as golfers have, have been able to really immerse ourselves over there. I got, I got lucky because I was a stupid college kid that was running from some things in Ohio and I go to, to Scotland and Ireland and nice. I, just, I just stumbled upon it. But what, what I find so fascinating about what the Kaisers have done with all their properties is they're giving that same inspiration that I had as a, a kid in, in Scotland and Ireland. And they're giving it to people driving up from Chicago, people yeah. driving up from Milwaukee there. You can find it now in Wisconsin. You can find it. And, 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 and my, my head starts spinning when I think Vaughn of, of the Glenway project. And if, right. we, if we can take that feeling at Bandon and that feeling at Sand Valley and bottle it up, to a place like Glenway, to right? A, to a place like Sydney Maravitz, uh, you know, here in Chicago. Oh yep. my, oh my gosh! I mean, golf is going to be, you know, we're going to go from thirty million to seventy million. Your your point about Scotland is well taken because you can. The thing I loved about Scotland, you can get on a train and go to the town golf course, which is probably, you know, if you're on the shore, it's it's an it's a world class links course that the town has just had, and you know, if it's not Muirfield, you're going to pay thirty forty. 50, maybe a hundred pounds and just play golf. And then you can get on a train and go to another one. It's just part of the fabric of the community. Uh, and, and that's what we're hopefully getting to as the next generation of golf. I mean, golf is being sold out, trying to retain the people that came to golf and, and continue to expand it is an opportunity. And these towns that have these golf courses that may be in urban areas, if you can reclaim the excellence of the golf course, it becomes an asset. And that, that's, that, again, gets more to the Scottish model. And to the Kaisers, you know, if you're a local that lives in Sand Valley, you're going to have access that people don't necessarily get because they have a respect for the local community and the local player and the local school and the coach and stuff. I mean, there's, there's ways to get on Sand Valley if a local that uh, speak to this very value of, of having local access, excellent golf. Yeah, yeah. Um... Any, any others, any others that you've, you've seen of, of new course architecture that's really changed the community? Oh, I mean, you can't, I mean, how can you not mention Sweetens? You know, Rob, we know is out of his mind. So that's on record. I love him. And he knows I call him. He's crazy. It's crazy in a good way. And people hate, you know, Sweetens is this, Sweetens is that. And I say, then don't go. <laughs> you can't get on anyway. So you're really not missed at this point. But uh, that energy is, you know, the golf, um, the golf architecture boom is fantastic for a lot of reasons. And those guys are fantastic for the reason that they bring to it. Dope's fantastic for the reason he brings to it. You know, Pritchard, Force, and Nagel, the, the top restorer guys are fantastic for what they do. There are so many cool golf architect opportunities in various lanes that as an industry and as a collective and, and as listeners and geeks on this podcast, it's kind of incumbent to us 
to try and, and spread that world word and, and gently educate people to the value of golf architecture. And you'll find that people, when they play, you know, they've been playing the same course and the greens have been cut in a circle for 10 years and they get to a sandbox or they get to a Sweetens or they get to uh, um, a Jeffersonville, right? The Jeffersonville, the Ross up in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Once they get to go those and they feel it and they say, oh, wow, yeah, this, this could be better. Maybe my course could be better. And it's a sort of small virus that you, you want to promote and, and get people to understand the quality of the golf experience. It matters, right? You know, you're, the golf architecture is important. The, the conditioning is important. There's no reason that a Muni shouldn't celebrate the golf architecture that it has or its potential, and it shouldn't celebrate great conditioning. So over time, I think we'll, we're going to try and push more of that into the Muni space and the public space. Uh, but it, it's, it's an interesting time. And I think it's all important and incumbent upon us to try and evangelize the importance of the excellence in golf. I'm glad you brought up the madman himself, Rob Collins, uh, who, who has multiple, <laughs> multiple guests. We just saw him last week at our spring meeting down there. And, yeah. um, we, we were talking about landman. Yeah. And, and I know you've been out there cause I read your piece, um, that I thought was so, so encompassing of, of Rob Collins, where you compared this brand of golf course architecture to the emergence of the X games. Yes. So maybe give our, give our audience here a little bit of taste of landman and what you, what you've seen out there and how it speaks to you. Um, so a little backstory, I was at Disney and I had a, a number of hats, both uh, producerial and strategic. And, and part of it was interfacing with ESPN X Games division and the internet division. And it was all, it was the wild west. And everything that they were doing, they were told wasn't gonna work. It was crazy. It was just too outside of the envelope. When you go to Landman, you you are driving for hours on dead flat farmland and all of a sudden these hills pop up along the Missouri river and they're pretty big, you know, a couple hundred feet in elevation, if not more. And, and the closer you get, the bigger they get, you go up there and you get to the top of this ridge and you can see for 60 miles. And it's an insane piece of property. When you scraped it off, it looked like Mars, literally. And Rob and Ted were very aggressive in the way that they were going to construct this, this course. And uh, uh, there are a lot of haters there are a lot of naysayers. And it, it got to the point where I looked at it and I said, you know, the haters are going to hate this. Uh, the minimalists are going to hate it. And the people that love sweetens and the people that are adventuresome are going to become addicted to this, you know, like a drug. And it's to the point where, hey, again, if you don't like it, don't come. Because <laughs> I'll tell you straight up, if, if you are of a certain mind, really don't come. Because you will, you will hate me for bringing you there. You will hate Rob and Tad and, and everybody involved with it. I swear, just don't come. But the people that are, that are of a mind where they want that sort of adventure, it is a massive piece of golf. Uh, if you catch it on the wrong day, you might even get a credit for, for the wind blowing too hard. And you'll get a, you know, the owners 
and Will Anderson are just tremendous people and they are about public golf. Will built this thing called Old Dane where they've scraped it, you know, two or three times. It's like a lab and it, now it's, it's kind of like a, a cross between Sweetens and, and Nairn or Brora, right? He's just, he keeps tweaking it and makes it more excellent. He wants to deliver this golf experience. And that's what he wanted to do for his region. He wasn't really looking to do something that was going to be national. He just said, look, I want to give this area something that's really unique and something excellent in golf. And I want to architect and build the heck out of it. And that's where they are. And it's, it's eclectic. It's massive. Uh, the features are big. The landing areas are big because the wind can blow. It's, it's almost become, in my eyes, it's going to be a bit like an inland valley bunion just because it's big and the wind can, can kick and you really have to play. You have to play some golf, but there's enough room where everybody can have fun. If you want to score, you got to get down. If you want to have fun, you can get out there and shoot a, a pretty nice score. It's, it's a big walk. It's a big elevation, but it's, it's going to be a spectacular, gnarly piece of golf. And it says Rob Collins is pissed off and I'm going to design the living crap out of it. <laughs> and that's, you know, a lot of good art comes from that yeah. place of anger. Um, exactly. <laughs> you talk about the people that don't enjoy that or don't enjoy sweetens. I, you know, I think I need to broaden my, my circle of, of relationships because I personally have not played with or met someone who didn't love the hell out of sweetens cove. And, and I had a great, I had a great experience this past, uh, um, this past trip down there with my, my father, who's 70, going to be 75 this year. Nice. He, he, uh, you know, he, he just grew up in a different era, uh, era and right. you know, the Nicholas designs and the, the Palmer. And that was how that sachet brought him into the game in a big way. And he, you know, he appreciates golf course architecture. He knows the classics, but yeah. you know, I think I just had had his his way and he gets there and i never forget what he said to me about what four or five holes in we weren't saying a whole lot it was a golden hour first round there right and he, he said do normal golfers know about this place <laughs> and i th i think he was oh. seeing himself as a normal oh. golfer and me being some kind of loony you know yeah but but it still holds and uh and there's another guy we played with that has no reference of golf course architecture has played golf his whole life but never right. once didn't know who donald ross was didn't know anything and he just now was asking questions about this stuff okay who's yeah. this guy that built this place why did he do this this is yeah. so different and so I, I don't know who is who is this group that you know vaughn that i don't that ha, that didn't enjoy themselves at sweetens oh they won't go <clears throat> You know, there, there, there are people that are, um, they just, they won't go. <laughs> just leave it there. Okay. I'll leave it there. We'll, we'll both get in trouble. <laughs> I know. I don't want to get either of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They just won't go, <laughs> which is fine. Cause I wouldn't want to go with them. I wouldn't want to go there with them anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and I guess that's what is great about golf and its broadness is yeah. that, uh, Hey, there's, there's a brand of this game for nearly anybody. Yeah. And, and I, I try not to let myself, I like to, like you said, politely educate folks to, to yeah. what I think makes the game great, but, yeah. um, I'm not going to let it take away from. Yeah. Experience. You can't let it take away. And Cause you know, there's, there's great places, classic places that could be better if they would, you know, cut the grass, you know, just widen it, go back to, you know, what, here's a picture, go back there. Um, 
it's a process. And I think that, uh, it, as we go, as we go through it and we can't get too wrapped up in being too serious about it because it's a voluntary sport. Nobody's, nobody says, Hey, you have to go play golf, you know, now <laughs> we feel I, that I way, but I it, wish it, they would. you know, it, it's, it's a privilege to go play golf, whether it's private or public. Um, we just wish that some people would realize the value of their land and, and get the golf to where it can be again. And it's, you know, this is five, 10 years. We're into this now. And it, it's, it's happening. Little, you know, courses, little known courses are saying, Hey, we, we should probably figure out one to get back to the excellence that we were when we were built or take this trashy Muni and let's see if we can create it and, and build it into something that's kind of cool. Uh, you did mention your time at Disney, and then you went on to A&R Records, a bunch of other media companies, but currently uh, you started Story Lounge Media Group. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot out there on the internet about Story Lounge. We're tiny. I'm try- I want to dig a little bit. So wh- why did you start it? What's the, the mission of this media group? Uh, we started as we were leaving Disney, we were going to head over to Fox. And then for family reasons, we moved to Iowa. So I had signed some, some deals to do some production. We were still on and needed a, a small independent company. And we were still doing work for ESPN. We were still doing work for Disney as a producer. And I, I figured out I wanted to, to have a small spot where people felt comfortable, comfortable hanging out, writing, telling stories. And the, base, the, the most comfortable place that I could think of were places called lounges. They amuse me, right? So I came up with the story lounge and that, that really has become the storytelling um, vehicle. We, we focus on smaller things. Uh, we've got a show that has, we partner with the National Science Foundation to try and enhance STEM education. Because back then when we started, STEM education was trash. It was horrible. So we went and looked at finding the thrill and the science and thrilling activities. So we spent two years with the Navy Blue Angels, we, you know, the U.S. ski team, snowboarding and Sean White era. Um, we are currently doing a project with Formula One because all those things are based on science and physics. You know, I, I can explain Sean White in the, in the half pipe. Every time he hits a half pipe, he's trying to escape gravity's pull. And each time he's unsuccessful. But each time he, it, the more unsuccessful it is, he is, the more energy he generates, and that equals amplitude. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how we started explaining science and using cool things to tell those stories. Uh, and we've been working on a deal with Formula One for four years, and it came through right when COVID hit. So we've been trying to figure out how to manage people in quarantine uh, in Europe. We just had a race canceled in Montreal. But we go after eclectic stories. And I think that um, we've, we've committed some of our resources to telling some of the more eclectic golf stories like Landman, um, you know, like hanging out with Rob and Tad, like, like working with Ron Pritchard and, and having him explain why these old courses need to be restored in a certain way versus plowed under or, or manufactured and remanufactured nilly-willy. Uh, you know, I love, you know, spend a lot of time with uh, Ron Forrest and Jim Nagel, who are, are consummate architecture geeks. You know, you get Ron going, you got, you know, put your seatbelt on because they, they will go into the details, but they are archivists and they are very detailed. Uh, and I love working with them 
And they are sort of on the other end of the spectrum of working with Rob and Tad. Because, you know, Rob and Tad will, will blow shit up. They're not afraid to. But that's who they are. They're not trying to restore anybody, any, anybody's work. They're trying to create new work. And, and it, that range of relationships that I've had the joy of developing has absolutely been enriching and have helped inform my passion for taking great golf architecture, new or old, to the people. So, so that, you know, my circle with those guys and at Craig Kirby and his organization with the kids, that kind of helps me uh, stay energized. We've started devoting some of our creative and storytelling assets to these efforts to try and get golf to the people and, and make the people help the people understand why it's important, why it's enjoyable. Golf, uh, golf needs it. The, the yeah. storytelling. I, I think, you know, there's a lot that's gotten better probably, but, um, you know, coming from the industries you have on, I mean, it's, we got a long ways to go. Yeah. We got a long ways to go. Uh, you know, some people go, some people still think golf isn't for every, for all people. And I think it is, <laughs> you should be able to take a kid and, and they should have the same experience if they live in the hood that the kids that don't live in the hood have had where they, they, you know, so many people have stories where they say, oh, yeah, my mom or dad dropped me off at the golf course and I was there all day till dinner and came home. Well, that's pivotal. That's important. That's enriching. If you can give that opportunity to more kids, more kids will benefit from it and society benefits in the long run. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. You keep a kid busy and in doing something they enjoy for four hours. That's four hours less time for them to get in trouble. Yeah. And, and, and it's a, a good thing to be hooked on, uh, opposed yeah. to other things, you know, and, and you can stay out. Of, I stayed out of a lot of trouble. I still found yeah. my way into plenty. I don't know how that happened. Cause I was at the golf course six <laughs> hours most days, but I still, the way home must've been trouble troubling or something. Um, is there any, uh, uh, stories you're excited about that you're working now? I, I, I'm excited about Landman and, and the right. teaser videos I've seen there. I'm also excited about Sand Valley, which I heard you're, you're maybe telling a little story there. Yeah, I've been, we've, it, I'm trying to think of the provenance here. So I grew up in Wisconsin and I cut residential trees. And during the falls, we would, we would go work on these work crews up in, in Northern Wisconsin where just grunt, you know, I could, you know, I would cut trees in around Milwaukee and the residence, but you could do grunt work on some of these paper mill projects. And it was, it was terrible. I mean, it was the worst sludging. So, but they would pay cash and you walk home enriched. Right. <clears throat> and I, I remember going up literally to Nakusa and working on these crews in high school and a little bit in college, when they were trying to clean up stuff and then they started closing down not too soon after that. But the worst part of it as a grunt was trudging and getting crap and logs and, and chippers and, and scraps out of the sand. It was like walking in quicksand. So I knew for a fact that that was, you know, I didn't know what it was geologically, but I knew there was a bucket load of sand and it was a pain in the ass. So flash forward to, uh, some years later, and I saw this announcement that the Kaisers were, were going to do a project in um, Nakusa. And I called uh, Brad Klein because I was a, a Golf Week Raider at that time. And I said, hey, I, I'd like to meet the Kaisers. And he said, you think that thing's going to go? I said, I don't know if it's going to go, but I will tell you 
there's more sand up there than there's a, on any beach in America right now. And he said, well, here's, here's Mike's number, Junior. Call him up and he'll probably talk to you. So he picks up the, Mike Jr. picks up the phone and we talk about it. I say what I want to do. I say, Has he guys ever done a documentary? He says, no. I said, well, I'd like to do a documentary of this one. And he literally says, hey, all right, come up, meet me at the, the junction of these two dirt roads at such and such a time. We'll walk around, we'll talk. If you're not an ass, we can do a deal. <clears throat> and we, we started, we didn't really have a plan. We just tried to start capturing stuff. So I started shooting, um, you know, a couple of times a month or every three, four or five weeks and just going up there and grabbing as much footage as, as we could do in two or three days when there were still trees on a lot of the grounds. You know, some of the grounds were already done, but probably only 30% of Sand Valley was actually cut and, and shaped in the first six holes were in it. So we started shooting with Corn Crenshaw and, and uh, Casey and uh, DMK for the last, you know, probably since the beginning of the, of the time. And it's kind of a process. Uh, and it'll be a very cool documentary. And we've, we've gotten a lot better at documentaries as we started doing more stuff for ESPN and and Sony. So we've got a really good storytelling here because it, it expands the concept of everything we just talked about. It talks about the impact of the community, the impact of the state. You know, I, it, it, Herb Kohler started the, the golf tourism industry. These guys lit it on fire. So now it's, a, you know, you, if you're going to do a golf trip, it's one of the top three of your choices. Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to Bandon. Uh, you know, I might and go to scotland or i can go to wisconsin i go to florida pinehurst i mean it's, it's in that conversation where a few years ago it was just sort of kohler and everybody else but now it's elevated everybody's game in notoriety you know lawsonia you have a golf road in wisconsin you could spend two weeks in wisconsin getting lost if you really wanted to oh yeah so i mean the the that's sort of the the impetus for the whole sand valley documentary uh, and we're, we kind of start at the beginning and we, we get up to the sandbox is about as much as we had shot. Um, and Lido will be interesting on top of that. We're not really, you know, deep into the Lido thing. Cause now we're all really busy and there's no rooms up there to be had anyway, <laughs> but it was great. I mean, they were working out of a, uh, a freight container was the golf shop. Yeah. I don't know if you were up there in the early days, but it was literally a shipping container. They cut the doors open and then and Clark ran the, the golf shop out of a shipping container because they, the beauty that they were all about the golf, get the golf done. We'll figure the other stuff later. Here's six holes. Here's a shipping container. Go buy your tea time there and we'll build some rooms and come back. Maybe we'll have a room for you. Maybe we won't, but we'll have more golf holes open. That's the beauty. Lead with the golf. Everything follows. Invest in the excellence of the architecture. Everything else follows. Don't build the homes first and then try and wedge a golf course in between them then you're going to, you know, you could be in receivership. But if you lead with the golf in this market, I think, and if you're committed to delivering excellent golf, that's the model that I, I really believe in. I, I, I do too. And, and seeing it, you know, that iterating process, um, we, we've done our uh, series of different events at Sand Valley, whether it's our Founders Cup or our Summer Medal. Uh, this year it's our Summer Medal. Um, and, you know, we went up there in 20 gosh, 2016, I guess when they had yeah. preview play, you, know, yeah, you, couldn't, yeah. you couldn't even play 18 holes. No. And, and some, some folks are saying like, ah, I mean, we're going, we're not gonna be able to play 18. And yeah. I was like, well, are you curious? Do you want to come? They're like, yeah, of course I'm coming. <laughs> you know, everybody yeah. went. Okay. And, and, and it's like, you know what? 
don't come. <laughs> it's real simple. That's fine. I don't care. Because if, you, if you're thinking like that, I don't want you hanging around grousing anyway. Don't come. <laughs> I know 10 other people that are jumping to get on the boat. Right. Right. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, what they've iterated on is so impressive. And um, uh, it's just so cool to see in our backyard. You know, I, I don't know what your backyard is, though, Vaughn, because, you know, you've mentioned you grew up in Milwaukee. You're, yeah. you're from Iowa, you're L.A. Maybe where is home for you? Home is, is between uh, Milwaukee and L.A. right now. We have we have a bunch of covid hold projects that have just started to fire up. And then I've got uh, we're trying to manage the situation with Formula One. We were supposed to shoot in London area in the UK over the past year, and that got locked up. Uh, we were scheduled to meet them in Montreal, and that just got canceled. So now we're going back to I'm going to either we're going to either go over and send a crew to quarantine so we can start shooting there in the UK, and then follow them as they they go to various parts of the world and we'll pick them up in uh, Austin. Uh, and then we've got a feature that is in development in Los Angeles. So about was out there a couple of weeks ago and we're going to start kind of migrating back and forth again. So you're saying that the manufacturing line is heating back up again. Yeah. You know, we, the manufacturing line has been very hot. Uh, it's interesting. People ran out. I mean, people literally ran out of the networks ran out of television. You know, an indication that you've run out of television is when you you look on your network TV and it's Wednesday night in February, prime time, and they're running, you know, Hollywood game night. That means they're broken. They've run out of stuff. If you have family, you know, I know friends that are, that are working with Dick Wolf and they're on a rationing system. You know, you have, you know, they'll run four shows and then all of a sudden there's a break and you say, hey, the next episode will be uh, May 5th. Well, why? Because they didn't have the ability to manufacture. So, but there's, there's an, a pent up demand because as, as you know, people ran through all of Netflix and were looking for more stuff to watch. Uh, so there's, there's going to be a lot of pent up demand for a lot of time because there's a lot of empty holes that need to be filled. And we're, everybody's trying to figure out what the theater situation is going to look like going forward. A lot of major chains have, have shut down. Will people go back in the theaters? Will they go see the big movies? Um, uh, I know folks that have worked on Top Gun. They're they're pretty sure that they're going to be the Top Gun and and uh, Black Widow are going to sort of give an indication of people's appetite for going back in the theaters. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of calls. There's a lot of content that needs to be made, and there's a lot of stuff on the books. Trying to get to the places to make it is is what's problematic. We do a lot of work in Canada too. A lot of U.S. production goes across the border. Nobody can get across the border. You know, I was laughing with architect Jeff Mingay and I was trying to see, did he sneak across the border somewhere? And he said, no, I had to quarantine. Then I got to go home and quarantine it back. So it's, it's problematic trying to get work done in any industry, any industry that you have to cross a border. Yeah, I, I didn't have as much appreciation for uh, what you guys do in, in, in the content business. We, we've, uh, as New Club, we've started to document very amateur uh, content of our uh, match play series. So we play match play all year long. It ends in a uh, match play finale for Chicago and the Dunes Club. Atlanta has one as well. Nice. And, and uh, my goodness, you know, I'm thinking, oh, we'll have all this content. This will be easy peasy. We got an editor. He'll help us out. The number of decisions 
you yeah. have to make for that simple content. I can't imagine what how many decisions you must make, Vaughn, when you're when you're putting these things together. People don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's for every one minute of, of content you probably shot ten to you know ten hours, or you know, it's ten to one or hundred to one um, for every piece that gets edited, and then understanding what uh, what needs to happen with regard to different things and different issues. Um, you know, it's a process. And again, you don't know. I and mean, people don't understand how hard it is to become a, a PGA player until they try it. Everything is, is harder than it looks on the surface. That's probably the easiest way to put it. Yeah. Have you, have you seen some of these uh, social media guys that, you know, every, everyone picks up the game of golf in, in COVID, but a few of them have announced, like Johnny Menzel being a popular one, that they're going to become PGA Tour players in 10 years? Sure. Absolutely. That, you know, how hard could it be? <laughs> I mean, it's a joke. Like yeah. I, I actually am, am one of the very few that do know how hard it is. Cause I, I played collegiate golf and I, I very seriously yeah. considered it. And I quickly had to, to drop and because it, it, the margins at that level are so tricky. Even if you dedicate your a whole decade to it, there is so few probabilities that you're going to be the best of the best. It's hilarious that he said it. I, it was so laughable. I think I just I I almost said I wanted to follow this and watch it happen. I mean, I, 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 it, I just, I'd like to get him into an AJGA tournament and let him see what happened there. I mean, PGA. Yeah. Go against that kid around the block. <laughs> <laughs> See what he does here. Yeah. Have him light you up for another 200 yards past your drive. <laughs> With it's, a three wood. <laughs> yeah, you know, if I if I were a, a professional, if I did it for a living, I, I would be a little insulted by these guys, but probably more entertained. You know, I think that you know, I'd invite it. I'm, you know, I don't think any professionals that are listening, just to, just invite it and let's and I'll come shoot it. <laughs> there, that's you guys. Bring hey, invite Johnny Manziel to a new club event, and we'll get get a couple of juniors and and let's see what happens. I think he's I think he's got time. I'll, 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 I'm on it, Vaughn. Play football. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about in the the world of of golf geekery, um, and this is what I, I love. This has happened to me so many times since starting New Club. Is I've uh, been a member of the uh, Society of Golf Historians on Facebook. Oh yeah, for a while, you know. And I, I'm not active. I just kind of I'm one of the lurkers you know and, and I, I consider myself an amateur historian always have been interested in you know who won what and and what was the impact of this course from the UK all this stuff and uh and again I see your name and I wouldn't have recognized it until we got this on the calendar but you're an administrator of one of two uh, groups I'm a part of on Facebook Oh. <laughs> I think one is my alumni at the University of Akron. The other one is the Society of Golf Historians, and Society. you're the and you're the administrator. So tell me how how did that come to be? Uh, so Connor and I just we so Connor started the society as a lurk as a lark. He just said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm going to start this this golf page because I'm going to see if there's other history guys." So I I sign up. And I said, "Oh, history is cool," and we start communicating and and. Um, we know the same people and we, we kind of have the same issues. He goes, Hey, could maybe, we, maybe we could film a couple of these things. And yeah, I could do that. So we, we filmed Pritchard and we did this thing with, with uh force at a Hyannisport. We, and some of these pieces turned out really good. And then we started getting some of this content that is priceless. You know, Tom, you know, uh, 
young Tom's putter and the provenance of that and the, the controversies around it. Uh, and then we filmed Ben Wright, who was genius. I mean, this guy was lit up and he had stories. So we started having fun and then we started vetting different things and talking about trying to put different pieces of history. I mean, we don't have any sponsors. You know, we haven't sold anything. Uh, it's just sort of a passion play and, and it, it's, uh, it's neither of our day jobs. So it kind of comes in spurts, but we've had a ball doing it. And we find out that, that people really enjoy it. And he's brilliant. I mean, he's a great interviewer. He's hilarious. And he's so passionate about it. He's the ultimate historian geek. And he's got so much trivia in his head that it just, it just spews out indiscriminately. And, and the best part is, you know, it's kind of like Johnny Manziel making a statement that he's going to be a pro. You know, somebody will make some ridiculous, inaccurate statement of history. And all of a sudden, Connor's got fact, 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 fact. And the people kind of shrink back into the corner and I get to watch it and document it. And I said, and I'm always the guy that's going to say, so you have any other questions or no? (laughs) (laughs) So we've had a good time. Um, You know, we've just taken a, we, we, we just came back from Augusta because it it wasn't anything that we could publish, but it was really a combination of, Hey, we'd like you guys to come down and, and really get some facts and understand the facts of this and the facts of that. And, and you might find it fascinating. Uh, no, you can't shoot, you can't podcast it, but you should understand the history. And they really, and I won't say we on that, they really appreciate his detail to, and the passion for the actual history to the point where it was, it was sort of a, 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 a very honorable invitation to come in and participate and really understand what the history of the place is so and we've gotten that in a couple other places and it's just sort of this thing where hey people want to get it documented and telling these stories and getting them captured before they're gone as part of it and we just have a good time we may play a little golf along the way but that's just part of the it's part of the deal yeah uh, it's it's it is fun to to follow along um, I have noticed you, you do have to fill that administrator role uh, occasionally. I mean, yeah. you got you got twenty two thousand, you know, opinionated golf historians yeah. in there, and uh, you, you've had to kind of play police sometimes, right? Yeah, you know, L.A. Vaughn will show up. You know, there's knuckleheads. <laughs> you know, they're they're and I'll be straight up. If if they get racist, shut them down, and I'll burn them. I'll fry them. Misogyny, ignorance um xenophobia it's just not that kind of if if they bring all the bad you know you do not bring any of the bad things that golf has become known for because we're trying to go a different direction and if you're not mature enough to discuss the history of golf good and bad you got to leave the room and there's just zero tolerance for some of that madness that that sometimes golf will that will bubble to the top of everything not just golf but we just won't tolerate it i I was going to ask him one of my next questions for you. Cause I, I saw that take place uh, over master's week, I believe it was. And yeah. your, your response uh, was exactly that. It's something that I feel I need to do more in my own personal golf life. Cause we've all seen it, right? Yeah. We've all seen the misogyny. We've all seen the racism and, and sometimes it's, it's very loose and you could probably justify, Oh, that's not. But if we don't call those things out, yeah. Golf then, it, as as you say, it, it's going to permeate the worst parts of our game. 
Right. And we have so many other good things that we can advocate for and push for. But but it's really hard to advocate for those things when there's just that that undertone. Yeah, it's going to be there. It's not going to go away. But what what I try and do is there are so many good things going on in golf. I try and empower the nonsense with the goodness that's happening. And if you can't, then you just shut them down and you ignore them. You don't mess with them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and golf history is a great place for that because we're looking past, right? Yeah. We're, or we're looking to the past and helping it guide us for the future. I, you guys do a great job. I, I really have enjoyed uh, being a part of that group. Oh, well, thanks. It's, it's funny. We've got, we've got some cool stuff coming. I'll, I'll look forward to it. I, uh, young Tom is one of our inspirations for new. Yeah. So we pulled the name from the new golf club of St. Andrews. He was one of the founders. Oh I, yeah. As soon as this ends, I'm going to look up the debacle on his putter. Oh yeah, it's just the putter is 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 yeah. There, there's a podcast on the putter that that uh, that we did, um, and and it'll be interesting to see w- where the story ends because it's fascinating. Just hold it. I mean, you're holding history. Yeah, yeah. What what's that uh, podcast y- you guys do for our listeners? Uh, talking golf history. Um, and it's hosted by Connor Lewis. Great. Great. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, uh, Connor well, T. Lewis. Let me be specific. <laughs> Don't forget the middle T. Yeah. Connor T. Um, very cool. Well, you know, Vaughn, this has been a lot of fun. I, uh, I don't have any other question for you today i hope you, you come back i hope we play some golf together here in the near future hey, at the bab how's the bab going you know we're working on a, on some storytelling at the bab looking forward to that beverly you guys are sold up. you guys are our perfect success story walk you know let's talk about that 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 was a phased renovation that's right you know, take some trees figure it out let the grass breathe cut some more take some more trees do some greens do some bunkers when you and the fascinating thing for me about that is really cool is that you guys, as a membership, when the trees were gone, everybody looked and agreed and said, man, the features are now too small. Now that we've reclaimed the width, we have to go back and, and, and get Ron and Tyler to come and do another wave. I mean, you guys are, are give me a little bit of, of your, your Bev history that people should know about. You guys are very community oriented. You got a lot of Evan scholars. I mean, give me some, give, give a little glory about the Bev because that's part of my, that that's part of the philosophy that uh, I really enjoy telling because you guys are a good blend of private and public. Yeah. Access. I, I, Not I, access, but public uh, support support. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, it's, it's one of the main things that attracted me to Bev in the, in the beginning, I've been there five years and um, I've been a regular member for the last two. And just uh, you know, that, that ride has been only one direction. Everything's gotten better. Um, but yeah, they come from the heart of the South side of Chicago. And, yeah. and I, I always like to say it beats with the Chicago heart. You can feel it. You know, there's a ton of energy when you come in uh, to Beverly and, and the land is unbelievable for, for yeah. Chicago. It's, it's just so good. Um, and so when I, I always make the joke, when I signed up to become a member there, uh, there was a pool and a bunch of trees and that, <laughs> that, that may I showed up and there was no pool and there was, there was less trees. Um, but a lot of the same issues that you talked about, uh, that had to be overcome. And, and it was certainly, um, people with more knowledge than myself, you know, Andrew Lewis of the grounds committee. And, yeah. uh, I, I give so much credit to a, a guy, you know, a club president is a tough job. 
I, I do not want to be that. It is, it is not uh, glamorous. Good. You know, you, you, you're, you're even it's, it's your leisure time when you're out there, but everyone else thinks it's their time. So right. uh, the, the, Tom Holub, who I just give so much uh, acclaim for what happened. He, he just had the foresight. He saw financially that yeah. this was the time. And we could have kept doing the, the small progressive changes another 10, 15 years, and maybe we would have gotten there. But uh, he saw a way forward to rip the Band-Aid, to get yeah. all the work done, and, uh, and to build that support. And, and he felt you know, the pains of some members that turned over because of that. But, but I, what, I, what I've liked to see the most is you talk about the impact of good golf course architecture. And, and Beverly was known for, for a lot of good things. I, I don't know how, how um, uh, compared to other venerable clubs, how much they had the, the true golf minded, you know, folks that really were, I, that has upticked in a big way. And, and people yeah. just are so proud of the history and the golf course architecture there that, that that's what I, I've enjoyed the most is uh, the pride in this gem that everyone's kind of feel you feel like you're a custodian of you know right. it's not it's bigger than you. you 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 need to take care of this place because it's it's one of the few remaining you know treasures of of down ross and uh i know you feel the same way but it, it, it is i hope more i hope more places get to experience what what you and i have um with with home courses that have done that well i think the interesting thing is you there's an energy uh of course along amongst courses like that because even though their private courses, that energy starts to expand, you know, the Ravislow and, and some of the surrounding public courses that may have some, some architectural provenance are, are getting the benefit of that energy uh, from, from guys like you and New Club and, and Fried Egg. I mean, it's really pushing that message out. You know, come full circle in our conversation is getting the message of the value of great golf to the people, uh, golf benefits. Yeah. Yeah, the full the full ecosystem because you need things to point to. I, I like uh, your point about Glenway and these others. You know, I, I hope my daughter and uh, future kids can play better golf courses than I grew up playing. And right. and I think that it's almost inevitable because th these people that um, you know sought out to build Winter Park, that sought out to to do Glenway, they didn't have any examples to point to. Uh, right, Canal Shores is one of our favorites here in Chicago, and it's a community. Absolutely, Jason. <laughs> Yeah, our, our buddy Jason. I mean, it yeah. is a remarkable feat how this place has transformed in the last four years with volunteers, not right. even paid professionals. And and I don't think it would have ever been possible, one, without people like Jason. Right. And and then two, without examples to point right. to. And people that have been to great golf that are willing to take that experience, like Jason, who was been who knows and has been to great golf and willing to transfer that experience to a public venue and willing to put in the time to that and that's you know canal shores glenway um jeffersonville winter park i mean these are these have become then the beauty is these people these places have become destinations sweetens is sold out yeah as a public destination and that and that is as an, that kind of serve as an example to the others. Hey, you know, your community could do this. You just have to, to stone up and get it done. And then you can reap the benefits. Um, we're working on a couple of projects. Hopefully we can pull those off. We can share those at a later time. But that's the idea to try and teach a community the value, the economic and social quality of life value of great golf that can drive business and, and 
literally increase property values. And we can go right to the, to the economics of it or the quality of life. Yeah, it's it, it's one of one it's one big reason that I'm such an advocate for uh, our private clubs creating some elements of public access. And I, right. I talk about that a lot on this podcast because exactly. our roots are Scotland and Ireland. They all have right. it over there. Yep. And, and, you know, you might not have a Brora if, if Dornuck had a gate up. Um, right. you, you might not have these these courses next door, if you will, that, you know, they look to their big brother. What, one yeah. good example I, I like here and, and um, it's not so much public that they, they create any access for public, but it's that their staff and their membership has partnered with another is, is Bobolink. Right. Another debatable Ross, I think, uh, <laughs> here in Chicago, where right next door, Sunset Valley did a, yeah. I think it was $4 million restoration a few years ago. And Vaughn, it's it's fantastic. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a check and, that out. And they would not have been able to, to get that done without the acumen and the experience of the course right next door. Yep. Um, exactly. that, that has been maintaining, you know, compelling architecture for a long, long time. And, and they get those best practices because we're, yeah. we're all in this together. And so I, that's, that's why I, you know, for the clubs that listen and, and hear me say this a lot, it's not that we just want, you know, let me in, you know, get, give me something for free. That's never been the case. It, yeah. It's better for the ecosystem that people experience your golf course. Yeah. That's, that's plain and simple to me. Yeah, and, and, and it, it feeds, if you are a club, it feeds you future golfers. I mean, let's be real. You can feed your own system. Yeah. Um, you know, with the project we're doing, it, it, I tapped, you know, guys like Pritchard and, you know, Tom Feller from Sea Rapids is going to advise him. Well, you know, just kind of call your friends and Connor's helping with the development plan because his day job, he's a real estate developer. Uh, and, you know, Pritchard's going to help with the master plan. It's just trying to save a course and, and add excellence to it in a way that shows that, hey, this, this is an ecosystem. These guys that have done all this other stuff, um, Pam Allen, I shout her out from the Donald Ross Society. She helped, she helped trigger it with pulling all these people in together to try and save a couple of, of munis and add excellence to it could be an example. Yeah. So I, I got one last thing for you and I almost forgot about it cause I'm having Uh-oh. so much fun chatting with you. Uh, we do this thing this, this season on the podcast that I'm calling the 19th soul. Uh, yeah. I I've adapted 35 questions from Marcel Proust, the French novelist of the uh, 20th century. And he, it's, he was attempting to reveal the truest nature of an individual with his 35 questions. We're not going to do 35. We're going to do 18 questions to okay. reveal the truest nature of the golfer, Vaughn oh Halyard. Um, so some of these you could spend, th- th- some of these could be pretty philosophical. You could spend all week thinking about. We ask you for a quick answer. You know, first thing that comes to mind, go, go with it. There's no grade. You can't, you know, get a C on this one. Uh, they're just for fun. Okay. And you can edit. <laughs> <laughs> and we can edit. <laughs> Number one, when were you the happiest as a golfer? Oh. Wow. That's a good question. I've had so many great, great times. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is, you know, it's a classic. Um, when my, fun, my son was beating my tail, I almost swore I had to stop myself. <laughs> and I, I fired a 180-yard shot into the hole for an eagle to win the match. <laughs> Nothing like a father-son competition. Yeah, because he was talking big smack. 
old man, you know, it, it was a matter, it was only a matter of time. You know, I hope you can keep up, you know, you want me to get the wheelchair for the cart, all of the above. And just, just dread it. No, I didn't win the match, but it, it shut him down. And that took him off his game because I didn't have to talk smack. And he was off for the last three holes and I took it out. <laughs> Number two, what's the scariest golf shot? Ooh, for me, uh, as a guy who came to the game late, it's, it's a, a, a sloping green sides chip um, from bent grass, from short grass. A little tight lie. I think a lot of that's me. A tight lie. I'm a yipper. <laughs> Number three. What is your go-to order at the halfway house? Um, you know, I, I try not to eat. Them. It's usually like a uh, a bag of chips and and uh, beef jerky or some nuts. <laughs> Number four. What is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? Yips. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Humor. Number six, what is the trait you most deplore in other people's golf games? Slow play. Seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Oh, man, I've, I've really tried not to use them, but um, yelling go at somebody's ball. I try and stop myself from doing that. Because when you when you yell and go, you know it's going in the pond. <laughs> so you probably shouldn't say it. So I've tried to curl, I've tried to curtail going go, because you know it's going to get wet. It's not going to make it, and you're trying to yell at a ball that has already committed suicide. <laughs> yeah, that's a football. You, I, I learned uh, about a six foot four college golfer once told me, "Get your mouth off my golf ball." And I don't exactly. Think I, I don't think I ever <laughs> talked to someone's golf ball again. Yeah, yeah. Number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Uh, short game. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Wow. Probably my putter. What kind, what, what, what kind of putter? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Cameron. Um, I got it from the club and it's, it's heavy. It, it has perfect weight and it's been just phenomenal. Number 10, what's the one thing in your golf bag that you should throw out? Uh, one of those pouches that has tees and ball markers in it. What I don't bring it out. I can never find anything in it. I, and it weighs a ton. I should just get rid of it. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's more trouble. It was a I, gift and I feel bad. But uh, you know what? As, as we speak, I just got over it. <laughs> 11, what is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Oh, more the green mower, more roller. Twelve. Have you ever asked another uh, another golfer for their autograph? Oh, absolutely, beyond a doubt, Tiger Woods. Did you get it? Yeah, unabashedly. <laughs> Please. Was it? Did, was, was did it I sign it golf course? for me? Put my name on it. It's for me, straight up. Not even lying. <laughs> Not even gonna lie. Uh, number thirteen. What historical golf figure do you most relate to? I don't know. Maybe, maybe James Braid, just because he was, a, you know, was sort of out there as an architect. I don't know. He, he might have been a racist. I don't know. But, you know, Brora was, was a religious experience for me. Really? So, I mean, you know, it's kind of the fact that he would come up with that on that land was like, oh, yeah, this guy's out of his mind. I, I'm down with him. 
Great answer. Um, do you have any golf regrets? Not playing with my father earlier in life. Absolutely. Every day. We would have had a ball. And the, the time we spent together was priceless. Uh, I wish I was not stupid and had took it, taken it up earlier. Um, let's leave it there. Yeah. Number 15, what is your favorite hole in all of golf? Um, I have to think of the number. The first or second par three at North Berwick. Kind of weird. It, it, it always plays long. It's down in a hollow. It, it's got a little, not the redan, but it has a little bit of bank. And you can get at it. Um, it's a risk reward. If you miss, you've missed badly. But if you hit the unorthodox side and try and run it down the edge, you're going to be rewarded. I think the architecture questions say more about a person than any of these other yeah. questions. I mean, I know Vaughn now by hearing the answers. <laughs> so uh, here, here's a good one, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's your least favorite feature in golf course architecture? Ah, uh, stupid pond. Stupid pond. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's a uh, stupid pond. It should be a like I don't stupid know. Stupid pond. That should be like yeah. a, like a cart scatter sign. There should there should be. A yeah, way. this pond this pond is only here because we had to to artificially raise a bad green. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you're a music guy, so I got to ask you this. If yeah. you had one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life, I don't know if you listen to uh, music on the golf course or not. Maybe I'll, I'll start there. Yeah, I generally don't. I kind of enjoy, you know, I have headphones on um, so much. I enjoy just the air and, and the noise, the the sound off that you hear the ball, hear people chatting. You know, people talking smack two holes away when they're, when they're, you know, Hey, what are you at? You know, I love all of that. So I don't, I don't usually don't have music on, but um, I'm trying to think it, it's a, it's a, a, it's an instrumental by um, a friend, a sax player, Wayne Shorter. I have to get the name. I, it's off. It's off of his Atlantis album. It's an old song, but it's just kind of a vibe for me. I just put it on. I can just ride it. It's one of those cars. I'll just. It's one of those songs. I'll just loop in the in the car. What What was his name? Wayne Shorter. Wayne Shorter. Yeah, and I'll get the name. I'll send it to you. Cool. Uh, and then finally, eighteen. If you had a motto, maybe you do. Yeah. What would it be? Golf related. Doesn't have to be. Oh, um, my motto has been in storytelling and stuff. They go, oh, gosh, it's, you know, you take a really a picture and, and you kind of think through it and say, no, it's got to be like this. It's got to be like that. And people say, well, how'd you come up with that? My, I usually say, look, this is not a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. My pictures suck and yours are so good. I'm like, dude, this is not a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a hobby, boys. You want to, it's like Johnny Manziel. He's it's a hobby for him. He's gonna get his ass beat. I really want to see this whole thing go down. There's a difference between a professional and a hobbyist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and there's a there's a difference between a, a committed, you know, player and a hobbyist. Yeah. The talk smack and say I'm gonna be on a tour in ten years. I this is that's a fantastic that's a that's a reality show that's worth watching for ten years. I'm a, I'm gonna get them for you, Vaughn. I think get the cameras ready. I'm calling. I'm Johnny in after this. He uh he owes me an apology for what he did to my Cleveland Browns for a little while. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> 
Just go to work. Seriously. And then I'm looking for He couldn't to- even go to work when he's getting paid. And now he's going to be a PGA golfer? <laughs> Just get a job, man. Come oh, on, man. Uh, you can edit that if you want. I don't care. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Hey, you know a buddy of mine, don't you? Corbacus? Peter? Never heard of him. <laughs> you know, supposedly he's a fixture in Chicago golf, but I, I don't know anybody that's ever run across him. You know, he... Um, He's one of those personalities that you just can't escape. <laughs> Corvegas, we love you. <laughs> Peter, we love you. We love Peter's you, like, have you talked to my man Matt yet at New Club? He's going to give you a call. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Have you talked to my man Matt yet? <laughs> Always connecting. The guy never takes a break from it. Full-time connector. God, he, he has – and you know what I appreciate about his phone calls is – he he uh, he makes that connection. He, yeah, he's efficient. He gets right to it, and and sometimes I'm like I'm still talking, and he's gone. Yeah, yeah, he's good. No goodbye. <laughs> Often, no goodbye. Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> you know what I love about him is that he is. You know, I can hack it up. I can throw. A, you know, I can invent it. I can be on a roll, and the shank will show up. And he's like, "Hey, don't worry about it. We're good. I got this." You know, we're in a match and. But on the other side, if you get hot, he is the best cheerleader. He says, oh, oh, yeah. I'm not even going to putt. That's awesome. I'm riding you like a horse, son. Let's go. <laughs> he's the best oh, person to play with because he's a massively good stick. Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, he's got so much game. And that's that. I, I've grown this, this appreciation for people that can maintain a competitive edge while still engaging everybody. You know, he, yeah. everybody's having a good time, but he is there to, to play a game and win it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Peter, for hooking us up. We love you. We miss you. We'll see you soon, post-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for the time. Uh, really a treat talking with you today. Yeah, likewise. Look forward to getting together. Let's, let's, let's tee it up. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The bag drop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners. The Evan Scholars Invitational is our official partner of this year's Hangout at Canal Shores. The future stars of the PGA Tour return to the Glen Club on May 27th through 30th for the Corn Ferry Tour's Evan Scholars Invitational. General admission to this event is complimentary this year, courtesy ServPro of Glenview. Fans looking for an upgraded experience can purchase tickets to The Hangar, a premium spectator venue with food and drink included. For more information and to secure your tickets, visit esinvitational.com, and I will see you at the Evans Scholars Invitational.